welcome back to The Extras. My name is Jack. And I'm Rod. Great to have you with us, Rod. Uh, I was thinking, Rod, was, we've been on the podcast a few times before, but we're coming up to, you know, you've been with us sort of six months here at St. Paul's. Uh, I don't know if you've had your six-month anniversary yet. You know, one of the traditional things of the podcast now is complaining when people don't celebrate your anniversary, so <laughs> not sure if we're quite there yet. Um, shout out to you, Rod, to be listening. Yeah, just going to hear, how, how are you finding things? How are you finding things at St. Paul's in the time you've been here mm-hmm. so far? Yeah, um, I think it, I think it's six months and a couple of weeks, um, yeah, okay. but it's it's been really good. Um, it's a lot to get your head around coming in, um, uh, but people have been really gracious. They've been really uh, welcoming, encouraging. When we when we arrived with no house to live in and no furniture, people gave us arrived with nothing and yeah. people were given everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, we've been really well looked after. So, yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's wonderful to hear. And I mean that that really relates to the kind of thing that we're talking about as we come to the Bible today. We are working our way through the book of Romans uh, at St. Paul's. Rod, would you like to just help us remember for those who need a refresher, what were we looking at last Sunday as we came to the book of Romans at church? Yeah, so the um, passage, Romans 12, 9 to 21, um, the big heading is in that first verse, love must be sincere. And so um, there's a lot in the passage, but I think it is all tied together by that theme of, uh, of what a really genuine, sincere, other person-centered love will look like in a world that's full of conflict and pain and challenges to loving like that yeah there are all sorts of challenges and you helped us with many of them on sunday we had sam preaching at some of our services too so you listening may have uh, heard sam unpack this but i think a lot of people feeling those challenges because certainly we had a stack of questions like i'm just looking at my double-sided page here of 20 something questions um some of them overlap so we have condensed a few of these but you listening obviously there's there's lots of issues to think through as we think through genuine love and i think our first couple of questions really just get us into all that so i'll just get straight into them sure. uh, a couple of people Combining a couple of questions here, basically that heading "love must be sincere." What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And particularly, how do you test sincerity? Like, how do I know if I'm my love being sincere? Mm-hmm. Someone asks, "Is it by doing the commands that uh, sort of come along through us the passage? Uh, if I don't do those things, is my love not sincere?" Like, how do we unpack that? What is sincere love? Yeah, yeah. and I think. I think when we first read that, our instinct is to read that emotionally. So I need to be true to what I'm authentically feeling internal inside. Um, but I'm not sure that Paul's quite using it in that way. I think what he is saying is that uh, it needs to be followed through. Um, mm. So, you know, I, I love so-and-so, but actually I'm not going to do anything to help them. That's insincere. If I say that I love you, but I'm not going to lift a finger to help you, that's, that's insincere love. Whereas I think what we see in the passages again and again, it's like, live that out, show it in the things that you do. Um, so bless those who persecute you. Um, mm. You know, um, don't be proud, but actually do the menial tasks that yeah. are required to care. You know, that, those sort of things. I think that's what he's saying. So follow through on, you're told to love, actually live it. Yeah, so it's like not just a talking the talk, this is a walking the walk of love. This is yeah. not just yeah. words, but in deeds, all those sorts of things. Yeah. Helpful. We'll unpack that in all sorts of ways as we get into all the rest of these questions. Um, we'll jump to, there were a bunch of questions that came in, perhaps unsurprisingly, about the last few verses of our passage where Paul talks about not taking revenge, leaving room for God's wrath. Uh, someone's texted, verses 19-21 sound a little bit like being nice to your enemy is the best revenge, as if there's this kind of sneaky backhand way. You still get to have revenge. You kind of sit on the sidelines and cheer God on while he enacts vengeance yeah. for you. Rod, could you unpack these verses a bit for us? Yeah, great question. When you read through the commentaries, this is one of the areas where the commentators are, you know, there's 27 different options for how we understand (laughs) this passage. Um, uh, But I think that the key thing is, um, we are talking about love, love must be sincere. And uh, in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Um, 
so I think uh, if we're reading this as saying don't take revenge but just enjoy the idea that God's going to take revenge yeah. then I think we're missing the love element there there's right? a heart thing that's gone wrong there yeah yeah so I think um, uh, so don't take revenge but leave room for God to avenge um, I think so I talked about on, on Sunday it, it is when we take revenge we go too far we, we're motivated by the anger and indignity and all sorts of selfish things as well as justice and so our sense of what is justice distorted mm. um but God is going to do it perfectly. And so don't you get in there and do it all wrong and make it worse. Uh, but actually you can hold back and trust that God will do it and he'll do it perfectly and it will be actual justice. Um, so both then it stops us from the circle of violence just increasing and increasing and increasing as I try and get back and overdo it and you try and get back and overdo it and, and on we go. Um, but... Uh, God is going to be just, so yeah. so it means that I can I can I can do that, not taking revenge, without worrying that then it's just no good will ever come because um, injustice is a problem. It's a, it's a wrong in this world, yeah. uh, and God writes injustice. So it's less, you know, I'm just really hanging out for payback. It's more I actually long for that wrong that was done to me to be righted, but not out of a sort of personal vendetta it's actually that was wrong and yeah. in the the scales of justice need to be sorted out like i want god to do right not so much just to settle my score but because that's good like that's good for the world exactly yes. yeah, yeah 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 and i think I mean, it's, it, this is a, an interesting angle on this is to think um, what happens in the event that the person who's done the wrong to you is a christian or becomes a christian subsequently mm. um in that instance jesus takes the punishment for that wrong yeah and um Justice is done, mm. and we can rejoice in that, but we can also rejoice in seeing that person with us in heaven forever. Now, for some wrongs, that actually takes a lot to get your head around. So, you know, Jack, you've never done anything particularly disastrous to me. No. I'll be quite happy to see you in heaven. Um, I'm pleased to hear that, But, uh, <laughs> but if, you, if you had, yeah. if you were somebody who had done disastrous wrong to me and it hurt me at some really deep level... It's like, I that, have to spend eternity with Jack. Like, yeah, like a exactly. Yeah. And for some people, I think, when we read a passage like this, that's where we're at. Yeah. Someone has done this horrible thing to us and uh, our whole life is dominated by that horrible thing. And how mm. could we possibly... Imagine a world where that's never put right. And a lot of things are never put right in the world. But there is a comfort that comes in that situation with knowing that God will bring justice. Um, the yeah. People who've, who've done terrible things and then committed suicide or lived the rest of their lives in luxury and never paid for it, they will be, justice will come to them. Mm. Uh, but the Christian way of thinking about that, um, there is some comfort that, that justice will come. Yeah. Uh, but I think this passage is still encouraging us to go further and to say, actually, bless those who persecute you. That mm. is, want good for them. Yeah. And so uh, we ought to be still praying, help me to change my heart towards this person and help me to actually want good for them. And actually, God, would you, go to do, would you do good for them? Would you bring them to repentance mm. and even to faith? Um, I, think, I think that's a sort of, as deep as it goes, that, yeah. that, that's sort of, we're talking really deep there. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think Paul's calling us on, um, God here is calling us on to that sort of depth. And I, I mentioned the uh, Jesus on the cross. Mm. That's exactly what he's doing. People are literally killing him at that point. Um, and he prays for their forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, that's what, that's what Jesus is doing in the world altogether. We, all of us, sin, we want him dead. Um, our sin is causing this great disaster. 
that he has to fix, but yeah. he comes to fix it. That's how his love operates towards us. Yeah. So, it's profound. Yeah. yeah. If we're going to be sincere in loving like that, it's going to be profound. Yeah. We're going to come back to this, to how we think through and apply this in all sorts of situations as we come back to it at the end. But we're going to sort of stay in the world of the text and the Bible for, for now. Um, coming to the next one, uh, someone's asked in this same sort of section, that phrase at the, at the end of verse 20, heaping burning coal. Mm. So Paul quotes Proverbs, you know, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. How does giving, uh, you know, being generous, loving our enemies achieve that? That's a, yeah, that phrase particularly, could you help unpack that? Yeah. So uh, there's, there's two particular popular schools of thought in this. One is that um, burning coal sounds like God's judgment. Um, mm. uh, so uh, if somebody's doing wrong to you and you return that with good, it makes what they've done more wrong uh, if they keep going on it. So if, if mm. Jack, going back, back to Jack the abuser, if you, were, if you were being horrible to me and I was horrible back, and then you were horrible back to me and we carried on, there's less fault on your side because I'm being horrible back. Yeah, because uh, there's a bit of justice element now yeah, going on in the repaying yeah, yeah. of you. Yeah. Okay. Whereas if I'm, I'm perfectly innocent and you just keep attacking me, well, then you, you're getting worse and worse. So you're, you're accruing more and more judgment against yourself. Yeah, okay. by, by. That's um, one view. One view. I think um, the other is that uh, it, it calls people to repentance. So I'm ashamed of myself when I do wrong against you and you do good back towards me. And so that was the illustration we saw um, with David and Saul. David doesn't kill Saul. Saul's trying to kill David. And Saul actually comes out and, and, and is ashamed of himself and mm-hmm. says, you are more righteous than I, and may God bless you. Um, uh, so I think, I think that is probably, possibly more plausible. Uh, well, I think perhaps it, it maybe is an element of both. You know, this is the case that um, uh, sin is exposed in the light um, and, and God's judgment will come. And so I think probably, perhaps both of those things are happening. Mm. Um, I, I, I still, I'm uncomfortable about being motivated by wanting somebody to be punished more severely. I, yeah. I'm not sure that Paul is calling us to that. I don't think that is consistent with his call to sincere love. Seems at odds with bless those who persecute you like you've just done backwards. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, so I, I think, um, but it certainly if it calls people to repentance, then that's a wonderful thing and we should celebrate that. Yeah, and you've done a bit more of this than I have, but I bring in the back of my mind that that burning coals. There's some sort of like idiom, figure of speech thing going on there. Like yeah. similar, you know, in English we'd say like, you know, we want you to be like red faced or you know, egg on your face or something. There's yes. that kind of like yeah. a shame kind of image. Yeah. Like, is it something similar potentially to that? Uh, it's uh, some commentators point to a, a, an Egyptian saying along those lines. All right. So um, okay. yeah, it seems plausible. Cool. <laughs> if you want to go back and dig into the Egyptian sources and check that out for us, you're welcome to do that and send us an email. Um, anyway, okay, we'll keep going on. Um, you mentioned the uh, the David and Saul thing. Another thing about David you mentioned is David and his run-in with Shimei in uh, 2 Samuel 16, where Shimei's cursing David, and David says, look, let him do it. You know, he's, he's on the right. He kind of lets it go. Someone's texted in, uh, Rod, further on in the story of Shimei, David asks his son Solomon to kill him. How does that fit in with blessing those who persecute us? And I suspect the answer is that it doesn't. Uh, yeah. I think I think this is one of those things where uh, David sets a wonderful example in some occasions and a terrible example in others um, mm. uh, because he's not Jesus, and that's you know the, the Bible's full of characters like that who do great things but also disastrous things, and most of the greatest characters in the New Testament in the Old Testament do terrible things. Um, uh, and I just I I might be wrong, um, but it just looks to me on the surface of it like uh, David is 
holding on to this. He, he said he'd let it go, but actually didn't, and he held on to it. And then, you know, and before he dies, actually, he now yeah. wants to get revenge. That doesn't seem consistent with sincere love. Um, yeah. I think that's just one of the ways in which David falls short of the perfection of Jesus, the perfect king. Yeah, it's yeah. quite sad. I mean, we've, we looked at this before, so 2 Kings 2 is where this happens if you want to go look it up. And it's it's like the very last thing. So the very next verse after David gives this order is, and then David died. It's like right to the end, he's there's something he's holding on to there. So yeah, I I think you're right. It's it's quite a, yeah, I feel kind of sad looking at it now that right to the end, there's this thing he's holding on to. Anyway, yeah. But yeah, helpful. Yeah. Great question. There's some very astute Bible reader who's sent yeah. that one in. Good on you. Two Kings 2. Go yeah. check it out. And uh, it just shows, doesn't it? That, you know, Sorry, One Kings 2, I said. Yeah. One Kings 2, yeah. One forgiveness King's is yeah. a great gift to us, isn't it? If you hold on to something like that, uh, so that at the end of your life, that's the last thing you want, is to see somebody killed for mm. insulting you. Um, that's that's harmed you, hasn't it? Um, forgiveness yeah. to our enemies does us actually a great deal of good. Mm. Yeah, well said. All right, um, back in Romans 12 now, someone's asked, in this section, is Paul talking about love for other Christians or even love for those who have rejected the gospel? And uh, you know, it's interesting. I think that there does seem to be a progression through the passage. So in the first half of the passage, uh, Paul uses a lot of one another language, you know, be devoted to one another in love, honour one another. Um, that tends to be Paul's language for one another as brothers and sisters within the family of Christ. Mm. Uh, so I, I take it at the beginning the focus is in the church, within the family of brothers and sisters. Yeah, so you got like 13, sharing with the Lord's people who are in need, practicing hospitality, that is this kind of internal yes. thing. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, as it goes on, the, the language of persecution, of evil, of enemies, becomes more and more the focus. Um, mm. Now, it is possible that we might have enemies in church, um, yeah. uh, and that's a very sad thing, and we always want to pray that, that there'll be peace and reconciliation in that situation. Um, but it seems that he's moving outside of the family of the church at this point. Mm. Uh, and I think that's what makes it so striking, is that um, the love that we're to show to one another is not reserved just for the people who are like us and who are going to love us like that back. But actually, even we go outside of the family members, even we go to the people who hate us, even we go to the people who persecute us, even you know the far extremes who would call themselves your enemy and would, would do horrible things to you, even to them we show love. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think... I think it is it is moving very much outside of the, the family of the church to saying this is how extreme this is. If it's going to be sincere love, it even needs to include love for your enemies. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Like if there were, if he was talking about like enmity within the church, I mean he talks about that in some of his letters, Paul does. But that's like more of a one Corinthians kind of thing where when there's squabbling in the church, he says like guys, sort it out. Like mm. stop. Like mm. he doesn't say oh just bless those who persecute you, as in your brother in the church. He says no to the brother who's causing the problem. Like stop this. Like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, be at peace with each other. And yeah. that doesn't seem to be so much what he's saying. He's saying, like, bear up under this hostility, which I think you're right. It's something coming from outside. So yeah. but you're yeah. right. Yeah, you've got both inner and outer things going on in that passage together. So great question for someone to text in. Yeah. I guess the other thing is the language at the end is everyone, everyone, everyone. Mm. Um, so it does. It's much more inclusive than the one another. Yeah. yeah. Um, another point on this, uh, maybe a little more specific. Someone's asked uh, from this morning's sermon, Rod, I understand that God asks us, from the passage you preached on, that we are to love apostates. Is that correct? Maybe helpful to unpack that word mm. a little and then mm. tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think we can use that word in, in, in different ways. I think my understanding of, of what the, the word actually means is those who have been believers but have turned away from belief in, yep. the, in the Bible. Uh, I think in, that's in what the this person's probably getting at, yeah. Um, uh, and um, I think... Yeah, so elsewhere, say in 1 Corinthians, it tells if people 
say they're believers but they're no longer live in a way consistent with belief that we should avoid that person and not have anything to do with them you know not have them around for, for lunch and so on um, yeah kind of cast them out of our fellowship yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I think this is where we begin to see some of the the nuance of the the Bible's understanding of what it means to love um, that love seeks the good of the other person and uh, I may feel like this is a, a, a nasty thing to do but if it's going to be for the good of the other person, I need to follow through and do that thing. Even it makes me feel uncomfortable. And mm. in the case of somebody who says they're a believer, but they're no longer living as a believer, what the Bible says the loving thing to do is to actually show them that that's true, that they're no longer living as a believer, and that they're no longer within the the boundaries of, of faithful obedience to Christ by saying to them, no, you're not one of us. Um, and, and therefore having nothing to do with them, shunning them, is, is a loving, gracious thing to do in order to help them to understand that they are not living as a Christian because being shunned is not much fun, but yeah. coming under God's judgment is much worse. Indeed. And um, we need, you need, if, 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 that, if that person is there, they need to know that they're no longer living as a Christian and they're, they're outside of Christ, they're, they're heading for judgment. And so this little, the little painful situation now is to avoid greater pain, a little vaccine that helps you to avoid yeah. the, the, the worst situation later. Yeah, helpful. If you want to check that out more, go read of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That'd be a great place to start and see that even these kind of, what well, sounds pretty radical to us in our uh, but much more inclusive society today to mm. kind of cast someone out like that, even that is motivated by love because we want to see people yeah. see sin is serious and see them saved on the last day. So that'd be a good place to go. Mm. All right, let's keep moving on. Uh, a much kind of zooming out, I guess, maybe one mm. of the biggest picture questions you could ask coming out of this. Someone's texted in, if God hates what is evil, why does God sometimes use evil to fulfill his plans? Like when Jacob lies and takes Esau's blessing or even when Jesus is killed for our salvation. Mm. And it's a, that is one of the fundamental questions that we face <laughs> as Christians. Um, uh, how does God relate to evil? And I think if you keep zooming out to the, to the, the biggest, widest possible picture, I think this is the story of the whole Bible. Um, mm. Uh, in, in, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve live in a perfect world and they, they live in God's vision. They, they know a perfect God, but they can't believe that he's good. When doubt comes, they believe he's holding something back from them. He's keeping mm. something good from them. And so they take it for themselves. Um, and I guess, um, you know, and then, so how does, what does God do? Then he reveals his goodness through the whole story of the Bible and he shows you know, the lie that Satan tells is God's holding back the best stuff from you. And God's answer is to give. He's very self. He's very son for us. So he holds nothing back from us. Uh, and so we learn through that history of all the evil that's happened in all of creation, just how loving and gracious and good God is. Yeah. Um, and we couldn't have understood the extent of God's love without all of that happening. Now, I'm not sure that's the complete answer of why there is evil in the world and why God uses it and so on. Um, mm. But I think it... Uh, it's, it wouldn't. His, there would be no human history if it weren't for God using evil to show His goodness. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's a, a really helpful overview. As you said, there's a lot more to say there, and I feel like I'm doing this every week on the extras at the moment. But I'll say it again: if you want to dig into that question more, this is something that uh, Sam and I touched on in our predestination specials mm. at the end of last year. So. Get back on the St. Paul's website and, and look at uh, sort of October last year. We did three parts thinking, and, and this question came up in all sorts of ways, thinking about God and his relationship with evil. Go back and have another listen to that if you want to keep digging into that issue because it's a big one, and we'll commend that to you too. 
Okay, we'll come on to think about uh, a bunch of different uh, areas where we might want to apply the sorts of things that are coming out of Romans 12 now. So, lots of kind of different areas to think on. Uh, we'll launch in here. Uh, someone uh, had texted in saying, we've been talking about Dunbar's number as part of church's mission. And I might just, instead of recap there, this is the, the idea that Raj has put us, to us that about 150 is the most kind of real reciprocal relationships we can sustain as human beings. So, you know, church size kind of question. Uh, we all have limited time and energy to build and sustain relationships. So how does Roman, Romans 12's love as deep as it can go and as wide as it can go, how does that line up with our vision at St. Paul's practically and physically given our size? Mm-hmm. And that's a great question. Um, and I think... There, there are lots of different ways to answer this, but I think part of the answer is that uh, this recognition of Dunbar's number and this reorganising ourselves at, at St Paul's is motivated by a desire to make sure that we can love one another. So we're yeah. trying to make sure we don't organise church in such a way that there's 700 people in a room and no things that help you to love one another mm. uh, because that's not possible. It's not, it's not realistic that we would have proper reciprocal relationships in that size. But actually we're trying to organise things so that we can have small groups that we can get to know and love and people who actually look out for each other and so that um, because out of love we want all the people in our suburb to come into church and yeah. find out about Jesus uh, we have to make room for them we do organize things so that when that happens um, as, as people come in that we can love them mm. uh, and so uh, I think this this loving as widely as deeply you can go um, uh, just sheds sheds another another light on why we're doing all this reorganising. I think because we do want to make sure that we can have genuine love relationships. Um, and it's worth teasing that out a bit more. I think because I think I, I certainly feel the weight of this question. I think if you walk into you know morning church or night church here at St Paul's and there's you know over two hundred other people in the room and I'm told you must sincerely love all these people, like that's overwhelming, right? Like what am I, what am I meant to actually do with that? Like. Weep with those who weep. If there's like a hundred people who've just had a terrible week, where do I start? Like, yeah, can you help us think? Are there any other? There, what's the practical steps to take for sincere yeah. love in that yeah, kind of environment? Yeah. Um, and I think so. One of the things we might come onto a bit later is is, is loving the person who's in front of you. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, love will look different with different levels of relationship. The better we know someone, the more we can closely can walk alongside them. Uh, uh, so the, in, in our situation, we, we try and organise people into smaller groups so that you can actually get to go deep with people and get to know their needs and, and you can be there for them when, when the difficulty happens or when mm. rejoicing is called for. Um, so you know, I think one of the really practical things we can do is get into a small group, get into a growth group, get into a serving ministry where you can work alongside people. Um, mm. When after church, when you're having a conversation with somebody, don't just talk about the football and the weather, but actually try and go a bit deeper with them. Mm. Uh, and um, stop and pray uh, in your conversations. If someone's having a hard time, don't say, oh, I'll, I'll pray about that later. But actually just do it right there. Actually, you know, those sort of genuine expressions of love in the moment. Um, yeah, I think to try, try and, and make sure that church is not just for the entertainment, but that you're, you are working at, deliberately working at nurturing relationships yeah, really helpful. So I don't think you can achieve the kind of love that Romans 12 is talking about for everyone in a big church, but I think the call is for you to do it with someone. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to do is, I guess, create contexts where you can genuinely... Like I, I, sort of, I was talking with my growth group about this last week. I think that I look at Romans 12, and as we read that as a group, uh, it sort of feels like the opposite of Romans 12. Like if you're not doing that passage, I don't think it's necessarily a church where like you're all angry at each other and you're all fighting. 
I think the opposite is like a church where you just don't care yeah. and you just rock up and you're there for the service and you don't really talk to anyone and you go home and you don't know anyone and you don't know what's going on in anyone's life. Um, I think Paul is calling you like, no, like be, be invested in this community to the point where you are members of each other. Like that's the language from before where you, you know, where you're, your, your wins are each other's wins. Like that requires like commitment and I don't think you can do that for everyone, but you want to do it for someone, which is why something like a growth group, I think is such a great context for it so invest in that deeply and let let that be the place where you are you know living this kind of genuine one another love out yeah i think that's a great place to start uh i just mentioned this but another great kind of segue uh someone else has texted what are some practical ways we can practice letting our friends successes be our successes and their suffering be our suffering and yeah that's a great question because there's a, there's a whole lot of things going on there there's, there's emotional responses as well as practical responses um, and I think you know, we, we talked about this agape love as, as the love where you set your mind to love the other person to, to act for their good um, oftentimes I think we in our modern world we think that our emotions dictate how we should be I need to be authentic to how I'm feeling and, and tell you but I think the Bible tells us that often it goes the other way if we start acting as if we love people we can begin to love so the emotion, the feeling can follow from the action. Mm. And I think this is you know, a good example of tooling us to actually do things that are loving towards other people and you'll begin to feel it. And so um, somebody comes along and they're having a, uh, they've got a, something to celebrate. Uh, you are having a really bad day, but you recognize that's a good thing and you celebrate with them mm. and, and you don't reluctantly, you know, and maybe, maybe you're, you're envious, but you, you pray, God help me not to be envious, but just to, to purely celebrate this with this person because it's great. And, 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 you know, if, if last week we talked about all members of the body, if we actually are, we do belong to one another. Um, mm. So your success is my success. Your failure is my failure. Trying to, trying to um, think less about how does this, how does it look, how does it look for me? How does this affect me? What does this mean for me? Those things which we, we need to start dropping them away and think, well, this is just genuinely good. I need to celebrate this. Or this is hard. I need to um, care for this person in this moment of, of difficulty. Mm. So I think someone has been really helpful for me. Tim Keller's written about this, a really short little book called The, the Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Mm. And I found that very helpful where he just talks about how so often our relationships are, are, are warped or twisted because what we're worried about in our relationship is how we look. Mm. Um, when actually what we should be worried about is just simply the other person. Um, yeah. It's actually expressing love. And um, so I, if that's something we're struggling with, I'd suggest that might be a helpful book actually to go and have a read of. And yeah. Through. yeah. Sounds helpful. Remind us the title again, just so you can catch the that. The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Yeah. So in that situation, it's not about me at all. Mm. It's about you or whoever it is that's come to me and I want to give my attention on them. And it's about Jesus and giving glory yeah. to him. Yeah. Helpful. Yeah. Great resource there. You might have to check that out to think further. All right, let's keep going. Uh, someone's texted in uh, in response to you know verse eleven, talking about never be lacking in zeal, keep your spiritual fervor. Someone's asked, how do we approach this if we want to be a Christian who's on fire but we're experiencing burnout? It's mm. <laughs> a great question. This is again, again, this is what this passage is talking about. Isn't it? We we are trying to love in an environment where we're in a sinful world, where we're, where where bad things happen. Mm. But we're also trying to love in a situation where we where we're we're embodied people and we've got our own limitations, physical, emotional, spiritual. Yeah. We are finite. Uh, yeah. And, and so, you know, the Bible's quite realistic about that. Uh, so, um, you know, sometimes you'll be the person who's coming alongside someone rejoicing or mourning. Sometimes you'll be the person mourning. Mm. Um, and so, you know, in those moments, 
I think Jack, you were saying this to me earlier, that was quite insightful. In those moments, it's about recognising that we also need to accept help. Um, yeah, so I don't think that we're called to be sort of independent, as in I'm meant to just be pouring myself out in love and I'm just going to keep going and, you know, the alternative is I just kind of check out and burn out and I'm off on my own. I think the alternative is it's interdependence, where at times I'm going to be completely like devoted to the good of others at times i'm going to need others to be devoted to the good of me mm. you know look at galatians 6 which i think shows you that kind of dynamic like we're meant to carry each other's burdens mm. and sometimes you're gonna you're called to carry your burden and sometimes someone else is going to carry your burden and that's just a beautiful picture of a church working together well that yeah. in this world as we go through hard times we got to be there for each other it's not all just going to be you pouring out sometimes you're going to need other people so i think if you're in that situation of feeling that tiredness I think the call is like, it's not necessarily just, you know, just keep going, just keep serving and, you know, it's just burn out. Like, no, we don't want that. But we also don't want you to say, all right, I'm just going to check out. I'm done. Like, I can't do this. Uh, I think the thing to do is to reach out, is to reach out and say, actually, hey, like, I, you know, maybe it's grab someone from your growth group or grab someone from, you know, the trusted Christian friend and say, man, I'm really tired. Like, can I just talk to you? Like, I just love to unload. Like, please pray for me. Like, let's, let's be a church where you can not be okay and that's okay and we can carry each other's burdens too i think that's got to be part of the picture the other thing i think um, i was going to mention uh is jesus is um aware of limitations as well physical limitations so often we see in the in the the gospels jesus withdrawing from the crowds who asked a lot of him uh, to go into lonely places and to pray Mm. and um i think our temptation when we're feeling overburdened is to withdraw and to go and do self-indulgent things. So yeah. I want to sit on the couch for a few days and watch some TV and lick my wounds. Um, but uh, I think Jesus shows us a wonderful model of something much better and much much healthier for us of actually withdrawing into our Father's presence mm. and coming in, in the Bible and prayer um, and perhaps even you know in a small group of brothers and sisters who can pray with you and encourage you. That um, when we're experiencing emotional, we're coming pushing up against our limits, whether emotional, spiritual, physical, whatever they are, um, uh, God is able to carry us much better than the things that we will usually look to. Uh, so I'd encourage you in, in that situation to keep looking to God, to keep mm-hmm. coming to Him and to asking Him for that strength and that, yeah, that restoration. Well said. Thank you. All right, our last kind of section now to take us to the end. Uh, as I mentioned before, we had a bunch of questions, again, digging into the whole vengeance, leaving room for the Lord's wrath, but thinking through that in different situations. So let's get into some of these. Uh, does refraining from vengeance and not repaying evil with evil include our thoughts? Hmm. And uh, I think it does, ultimately. Uh, I, I think you mentioned this earlier. Um, our emotions will often lead us in the wrong way. Uh, and when somebody hurts us, it's completely natural that we will be hurt, that we'll be angry, that uh, we will think badly of them, that we want to hurt them in that moment. Uh, and what I think Paul is calling us to is actually to learn something different. So you know, Romans 12 starts with, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We actually need to change how we respond to these situations. Mm. Our instinctive responses are tainted by sin. Um, so I don't think that this is... You know, We need to be careful. I'm not saying that... Um, if you think this way, God will judge you. You know, it's not, it's not a stick to beat us with. Uh, but it is actually calling us to discipline our thought lives. And when we catch ourselves thinking evil or someone wanting evil for them, cursing them in our hearts, um, bless and do not curse, mm. uh, then at that moment, that is something to be repented of and to ask God to help you. Uh, and it, you know, depending on how deep the pain goes, some things might take years and years and years of processing to, to come away from that. Yeah. And that's okay. That's again, that's just physically, that's how we are. If mm-hmm. we've been deeply hurt, uh, it takes a lot of processing. Um, but 
the goal is, the aim is, to come to that point where we're no longer wanting God to crush whoever it is who's done this thing to us, but we're actually able to love them and pray for good for them. And sometimes that will start with actually praying for good for them, even though we don't want to, even though yeah. we don't want it. Um, and praying that God will change our thoughts so that we actually want that good that we're asking for. Yeah, so similar to what you said before, sometimes we act and our heart follows that we need to exercise those love muscles yeah. until our heart catches up. So I think yeah. that's true here as well. All right, uh, next one coming along. Uh, how do we act out these kind of verses, you know, overcoming evil with good, uh, to say someone is not a Christian and who hates our worldview? Mm. Our world today uh, no longer sees the gospel as just foolish, but evil. Our message is corrupting and dangerous. So, yeah, it's a long question, but let me kind of summarize it from there. Yeah, how do you kind of show this sort of attitude towards a world that actively is hostile to you? Yeah, yeah. and that's a really, and that's a really insightful question, I think, because um, I think back... 25, 30 years when I was a student and we would often say uh, you, you, we think you're wrong but we love you and, we're gonna, and if, if you have a conversation with somebody and, and you disagree with them, you'd speak in a loving manner and you show a gracious demeanour and, and you can win them over to your point of view um, you could say to someone, I disagree with you but I love you and they would hear you saying that you love them, mm. whereas I think particularly around the areas of sexuality in, in our world at the moment, freedom of expression um, we're being told if you say you disagree with me, or if you disapprove of any aspect of my behaviour ever, then you hate me. Yeah. Um, and that's what, and that's what, that's how I receive it. If if someone says to me you're wrong, then that is that is hate speech. Mm. Um, and so, so we're in a very difficult situation, I think, where it is it is very difficult to communicate in such a way that people will hear us. Um, I think the first thing that we need to hear is that love, love needs to be sincere. Uh, we still need to love those people. Um, and, and love cannot mean abandoning what the Bible says is right or abandoning what the Bible says is good. Because if God made us and if God has spoken to us in his word, he knows what is best for us. And it is loving to communicate that, even if people don't want to hear it. Yeah. And so um, it, can't, it can't be that we say, because we love somebody, we won't tell them this thing that's going to be hurtful. Um, because not telling them means they never get to hear the, the gospel. They never get to hear the, the, the news of freedom from mm. whatever it is. Um, and I think I think then the thing is, if if somebody hears you speaking to them as their enemy and you keep saying, no, 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 I love you, mm. um, it's going to be at those times when, when there's, there's some opportunity to show costly love when it will actually be revealed that what you're doing is loving. Um, yeah, so actions will speak louder than words. And, and this is, yeah. I think this is what this passage is saying in lots mm. of ways to us, that um, uh, when we're in those situations, we're to, to want good for the other person and to act to do good for them. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them water. Um, so when you have opportunity to actually show good to them, go all in on that and mm. show good to them because you do love them. Yeah. And also, I think, guard your heart because quite often... We say, I love you, um, and I just disapprove of this. That, but actually, there's a, there's a large part of our heart that, that, that wants not to love somebody. And so uh, we also need to guard our hearts to that point that we're not just using that language as a, as a cover for, actually, I do want to just dig, dig the boot in. Um, yeah. and, and maybe that's, a, that's one of those things where you find out, are you prepared to pay the price to, to, to show costly love to this person? Um, that's a good indicator of whether you're actually you, you, you are loving them. In that moment, yeah, that is helpful. Yeah, maybe one other thing to say on this. I think another angle on it is I think there's there's a point where you kind of say I've I've done what I can, uh, and I think that comes out of the passage as well. Like verse eighteen, Paul says, 
if mm. it's possible. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I think, you know, Paul is writing this in an environment which maybe isn't too dissimilar to ours, you know, in a, a hostile Roman regime. Like, he knows that the hostility is real. Yeah. And uh, there comes a point where uh, if someone, you know, again, to put it back into our day and age, if someone says, no, I don't believe you that you love me if that's what you think, mm. uh, at the end of the day, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to change your mind. Uh, if that's mm. what you're going to think, that's, that's your choice. I've done everything I can to show you that I love you and to actually love you and... Uh, sometimes in our world, I think that's not going to be enough for people. And uh, at that point, we say, well, that, that, that's over to you at that point. Uh, and what, what else can I do? Uh, yeah. we, we've, we've done what God has called us to do, and we're still seeking to actively love. And yet, it's, yeah, you, yeah. it takes two to tango. And if the person doesn't want to tango at some point, that, that's on them. Yeah. Yeah, which is hard. Yeah, and I think we're going to increasingly run into this more and more in the next 10, 20 years in our culture, mm. working through these things. So mm. watch this space as well. But yeah, we've we, we got to... We've got to do what we can, I think. All right, uh, next up, war. We're getting into the big issues. This is good. Um, how do we reconcile, uh, you know, if we're called to love and to love those who hate us, uh, how do we think about Christians going to war or armed conflict? History has told us there must be times where evil must be stopped. Uh, this person says Hitler comes to mind quickly. Uh, how as Christians do we marry together being loving but also going into armed conflict? And perhaps this person has Ukraine in mind as they text this in. Yeah, how do we think about that, Rod? Yeah, really good question again. Um, uh, I think one of the things is we just need to look down the page a little bit in Romans. Mm. In Romans 13, Paul is going to talk about how we interact with governmental authority. And one of the things there is that the government is given authority from God to punish wickedness, um, mm. which is a bit different than the war thing. Well, it might might relate to the war thing. Um, but uh, so the, when Paul says all this, he's not saying there is never any room for, for judgment against wrong. Uh, actually, there is room for judgment it's wrong. I'm not to do it individually, but the government is actually to do it. Um, and war, I think, flows out of that mm. to some extent, that um, their governments are tasked with authority to lead and look after society. Uh, and sometimes that might mean going to war against other governments if they're not acting rightly in the best interests of the people that you're governing. Um, yeah, I think so. it's worth saying that, you know, this isn't a new thing. Like, Christians have been wrestling with this question for 2,000 years, and I think most Christians throughout the ages have come to the conclusion that there's times where if, you know, if the hostile regime is causing great injustice and causing, you know, untold loss of life and oppression to people, like, there may be a time when, you know, the, the right thing to do is to take up arms to protest against injustice and that kind of thing. And that's, like, a really serious... You know, war is awful. It's always a, a, an awful thing. It's not, you know, we don't go around just saying, like, all right, we're just going to jump on the conflict bandwagon wherever we can. Like, it's a, sort of a last resort. But, yeah, um, just war theory is the mm. way that Christians have mm. talked about this, that there is a time when a war is just and good and right. Um, I might point to a resource as well. I just saw earlier today the, the Centre for Christian Living, uh, the, the kind of centre within Moore College, who are doing a lot of good work thinking about how we work through biblical stuff in our everyday life situations have just put out an episode this week called uh, A Defense of Defense, uh, really getting into Christian thinking about war in light of the Ukraine situation. So that might be a great thing for you to dig yeah. deeper on this as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll come on to the next one uh, in a similar kind of way. Um, someone's asked, I've got a friend who's been impacted by the government's COVID rules, and this friend hates the government and sees those rules as evil and repulsive. Uh, how can we as Christian friends help or rebuke someone to... Mm you know, love even those who do evil, in quotation yeah. marks. Yeah, and that's a, 
there's a, there's a few different things in that question, isn't there? Um, that's, a, that's a packed and, um, question, yeah. <laughs> I think one of those things is throwing us down next week. Next week we will talk about how we relate to governments. Um, and remember, Paul was under the Roman government and under the Jewish government. Both were hostile to mm. the gospel. So um, there's, a, there's a fair bit here for us in thinking about how you relate to gospel to, to authority that can be hostile. Um, another series of questions is, are the government's COVID rules evil? Um, uh, and do we need to correct people when they have views? And there might be all sorts of conspiracy theories and other sorts of things that start to play into this sort of thing. Um, I'm not sure that this is room for an extensive answer on that, but I think um, it is interesting. Evangelical Christians seem to be prone to accepting conspiracy theories. If you look over the United States, that seems to be what's happening over there. Um, uh, there is a need for us to show common sense and um, to to trust authorities to some extent. Um, uh, sometimes there is a need for us to say to people, I think you've been sucked into something there. Um, sometimes rules that are meant to be for the good of all do benefit the vast majority, but they really hurt some people. Mm. Um, and you know, government is a terrible, difficult thing to balance out those things. And, and in a pandemic, the everything is so difficult to judge. Um, so there's all manner of things going on there. Um, but I think one thing would be uh, to weep with those who weep in that situation. If your friend mm. has been hurt, to, to show concern for where they've hurt. Um, if they're in need, to share with those in need. Um, uh, and perhaps to just gently help them to see, try and see the situation, not just from their own perspective, but from, from other perspectives as well. Yeah. I feel like we just kind of popped open like a whole six pack of cans <laughs> of worms there. So um, something for you to chew on there. If you've got questions about any more of that, like text them in, we'll, we'll keep going next time. Um, yeah, uh, helpful kind of overview, but yeah, as you said, complex issues there. Um, and now just to really simplify it, you know, we've got another big question to, to finish this up. Uh, we had a number of people text in, in sort of different ways, a bit of a abuse and domestic violence question, which I think is really good and right that uh, this is an issue people are keen to ask about. Uh, I'll pick just one question from those to sort of represent them. Uh, someone's asked, how can the victim of a domestically violent relationship overcome evil with good? Or in other words, how can someone show genuine and sincere love even to a partner who is repetitively abusive? Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, this is, it's actually a really important question for us to answer because it it gets to something that um, when the Bible tells us to love others, it's not saying do for others what they think you should do for them. That is so crucial. Can you just say that again? Like, that's so, so important. When the Bible says we should love others, it's not saying do for others what they think you should do for them mm. or what they demand from you. Or It's not saying do whatever they want from you. Um, and so a situation like that, uh, abusive relationship, is a dangerous situation. The Bible is not saying stay there and keep copying abuse. Um, mm. uh, and sorry if you've heard me saying that. that um, that's not something that we want to encourage actually in that situation if you are being abused uh, you need to get out of that situation for your own safety and there might be all kinds of guilt that comes with abandoning or fleeing a situation like that that language of abandon maybe you feel like you've abandoned something that you shouldn't have Um, but I think that actually it would be it's not a loving thing to stay in a situation where someone's abusing you Um, to be abusing somebody else is not not right. Uh, it's it's not right before God. It's not love, uh, 
and it, it doesn't do any good for the abuser as much, uh, even more so for the for the person who's being abused. And yeah. so to stay in a situation to allow someone uh, to, to thinking that we we are we are compelled to stay there so they can keep abusing us, um, that's not that's not going to be for their good either. Mm. Uh, so um, uh, you know the Bible is not saying that we need to do whatever that person thinks is good to do. Actually, we we need to do, have that sense to know what is actually loving um, and. You know, domestic abuse situation for the partners being abused. They need to get out. If there's children involved, they need to protect mm. vulnerable people. Um, churches need to, to care for people who are in, in that situation as well. And and a person who is abusive, it is no good for them to carry on abusing. They need, oftentimes, they need something to wake them up to see where they've found themselves and, and to stop it. Um, and so, you know, um, no, we don't. We're not called on to just carry on receiving abuse. Um, uh, I think we, Jack, was you were going to share with us. We we do have I some think in this, resources in this context, there. I think it's important for us to say that you know you may be listening and may find yourself in this kind of relationship. And if that's you, we we grieve for you, and our heart goes out to you. And we, yeah, we'd long for you to be able to uh, find safety. Uh, please, if, if you'd like to get in touch with our church and uh, contact us through the website, you could do that. Come and talk to one of the pastors. We also um, there's all sorts of online resources. Uh, a website you can check out is no, as in. K N O W No Domestic Abuse Church. Head there, and there's other pathways that you might be able to reach out to. But we, we long to be a church that yes, talks about this because it's it's a, an awful and a serious issue, and one that we want to take really seriously. Hmm. Yeah, and it's, sadly, it's one where Christians have sometimes misappropriated things about authority and, and said, no, I, I, I have a, a mandate to do this, to, to abuse somebody else. And the Bible never gives us a mandate to abuse no, that's, somebody else. That's wrong and a yeah. terrible distortion of the Bible's truth. Yeah. And we disavow that emphatically it's yeah it's not right so yeah we hope that may help you if you if you need that help on that note uh we've come to the end of the extras for today uh bumper episode there we're digging into the big issues cans of worms everywhere uh thank you rod for your your wisdom and yeah i found this very helpful just so much pastoral goodness as we wrestle through this stuff uh, where are we heading this Sunday? Give us the, the one-minute teaser of where we're going. Uh, well, we're, ahead. we're heading into a, a, another area of, of cans of worms, perhaps. We're going we're gonna to tackle one of those cans of worms and, and go <laughs> a little deeper, uh, which is that issue of how we relate to those in authority over us. Uh, so government, um, but all manner of authorities, so mm. in, in, in schools, in universities, in work, uh, in homes. Uh, how, how does authority work? Uh, and um, I guess the, the, the teaser is that... Um, uh, all authority comes from God, and so we need to think in terms of how do we honour God in when we come before different levels of authority. How do we act in a way that's going to honour the one who gives authority? Mm. And I guess if we're in authority, how do we exercise authority in a way that's honouring to God as well? Yeah, lots to look forward to then. Uh, we will see you then. Thank you for listening. We hope this has helped you to be growing deeper in the Word, being more and more captivated by our Lord Jesus, seconder live a life uh, out of love for him and his people. Uh, We will catch you next time. Farewell. See you later.